Welcome to Trends with Benefits, real estate investing with Dale Creed Francis and Ryan Litvin. We strive to bring an open, honest, and transparent approach to real estate investing by informing and educating listeners about the real-world benefits, issues, and challenges investors need to know when it comes to direct participation real estate. This podcast is where you can learn the latest trends, innovations, and opportunities available to help build wealth, create income, and diversify your portfolio. So get ready for another informative, fast-paced, and entertaining episode of Trends with Benefits. Welcome back, everybody. Dale Creed Francis here along with Ryan Litvin for Trends with Benefits, real estate investing, and want to remind you to sign up for the newsletter free newsletter, Trends with Benefits, The Dirt. And you can do that at trendswithbenefitspodcast.com or you can go to vincentre.com and under the resources, you can sign up for it there. So what we're going to do here is cover a, uh, I guess I'd call it a current event because sometimes the things we cover are going to be like, they're, they're not based on time. Like they'll be relevant for a decade. This topic is very relevant right now, and it's so relevant that we thought that we needed to do a podcast about it, just based on conversations we've been having with investors and um, property owners and such. So we've named this one S, for the letter S, equals sheer panic, and here's why. So the month of March brought multiple bank failures. So we're all pretty aware of that, and they all started with the unlucky letter S. And I don't know if everybody knows that, but when I was looking at them and researching, I went, whoa, these all start with S. That's a a bad sign. And then sheer panic quickly ensued among venture capitalists and founders of these banks as they watched their banks implode. And and that and that's like I say, this is a this is a very current and serious topic. So we wanted to hit on it. Well, and you know, you you said a lot of people know, but I don't know that they know the depth of it, right? Right. Because now they're saying it's over, and I don't know if it's over. But um, look, during March of 2023, two large banks in the U.S. with significant exposure to mainly the technology sector failed, while another entered liquidation under financial distress. So by the 16th of March, large interbank flows of funds were occurring to shore up bank balance sheets, and many analysts were reporting on a more general U.S. banking crisis. Mm-hmm. Many banks had seen, well, this is what I think people don't, you know, you got to look at what's behind the scenes. What are what are banks doing with the money? And we'll, we'll get into that. But yeah. many banks had invested their reserves or customer deposits mm-hmm. into U.S. Treasury securities, which are bonds. Right. And they'd been paying very low interest rates. Well, the Federal Reserve began raising rates last in 2022, in the spring of 2022. So what happens? What do we, you know, what do all of us economists know about bond prices in relation to interest rates? Interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So bond prices decline, decreasing the market value of those bonds, which in turn decreased the market value of bank capital reserves, leading some banks to sell the bonds at steep losses as yields on new bonds were much higher. So 11 of the largest U.S. banks provided up to $30 billion to support these failing banks in March. Um, well, mainly one bank, First uh, First Republic Regional Bank, which was saved or which was supported um, and didn't go under. But the next slew of banks that Dale mentioned that all happened to start with the letter S 
did go under, and then we'll get into why. Yeah. So, and yet we'll come back and cover each of these banks in more detail, but let's cover the list, the, the S banks that imploded, and they imploded in this order. So number one, S, Silvergate Bank. So the, this is the first bank to fail. They were cryptocurrency-focused Silvergate Bank. They announced it would wind down on March 8th due to the losses suffered in its loan portfolio. So number two, S number two is Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank, also known as SVB, two days later on March 10th, upon announcement of an attempt to raise capital, a bank run occurred at Silicon Valley Bank, causing it to collapse and be seized by regulators that day. That happened quick. S number three, Signature Bank. A signature bank, that's that's a bank that frequently did business with cryptocurrency firms, was closed by regulators two days later on March 12th with regulators citing systemic risks. Now, what's worth noting about these collapses is that the collapses of SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank were the second and third largest bank failures in the history of the United States, respectively, smaller only than that of the 2008 collapse of Washington Mutual during the global financial crisis. So these aren't small. Well, you know, naming the the show S equals sheer panic. Are those banking failures over? Uh, do people know that that was, you know, one of the largest other than Washington Mutual to ever fail in the United States? A lot of people that I've spoke with don't know that. No. Because it's all just kind of been brushed under the, the rug. Right. And not talked about. And what does that mean for the future going forward? I think, you know, we'll get into that uh, in our opinions regarding that. But let's get into these um, kind of individual banks a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more depth here. So here's more of the background on them. So going back to number one here, Silvergate Bank. It's a California-based bank that began operations in 1998 as a savings and loan association. In the 2010s, the bank began to provide banking services to players within the cryptocurrency market. I, I want to stop right there for a second um, because there's there's an underlying theme with these right here. Uh, we're going to be talking quite a bit about their involvement with cryptocurrency firms and exchanges and stuff. I still think – so cryptocurrency is going to have its day. I still be believe that, it and it's, but it's in a terrible – bear market right now. And that is causing a lot of problems with a lot of places, not only these banks, but we'll come back to that a little bit more too. So the bank sought regulatory approval in the summer of 2014 to do business with cryptocurrency firms. The bank expanded the assets on its balance sheet significantly, doubling its assets in 2017 fiscal year to $1.9 billion by servicing these cryptocurrency exchanges and other companies who were involved in the crypto business uh, that could not secure their own financing from larger, more conservative banks. So they went to Silvergate. By the fourth quarter of 2022, 90% of the bank's deposits had become cryptocurrency-related. Get this one, with over $1 billion in deposits being tied to Sam Bankman Fried. Oops. If you don't know who that is, Ryan, <laughs> how about Sam? Yeah, failed FTX uh, cryptocurrency firm. I don't know where he is now, but um, uh, yeah, so when that went under, that all wiped away uh, very quickly. And the second bank, Silicon Valley Bank, 
This was a commercial bank founded back in 1983, headquartered in Santa Clara, California. Until its collapse, it was the 16th largest bank in the United States, and it was heavily skewed towards serving companies and individuals from the technology sector. So nearly half of U.S. venture capital-backed healthcare technology companies, they were all financed by SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Airbnb, Cisco, Fitbit, Pinterest, Block, Incorp. All of these have been clients of the bank. So in addition to financing venture-backed companies, SVB was also well-known as a source of private banking, personal credit lines, and mortgages to tech entrepreneurs. According to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, otherwise known as the FDIC, it had $209 billion in assets at the end of 2022. So here you've got a bank that had 200 quite a bit larger than, Silic- than Silvergate, $200 billion, $209 billion in assets that just poof. Failed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from a bank that I've been talking to a lot of people, they, they just, if they hadn't done any, you know, been involved in anything in the technology industry, they'd, they really didn't know who SVB was. Well, and I'm, you know, I'll get into this a little bit more, but it's one of the things and call us biased because we're real estate developers. But um, in my opinion, the stability of real estate is, is just the case study for that <laughs> continues sure. to go grow stronger. Right. I mean, I think a, you look at a lot of the layoffs that are happening in the tech space. Um, what are mm-hmm. tech stocks doing? You know, people are always searching for investments and I think you have different categories and classifications of investments, or maybe of, as an individual, you have it as a split investment personality. You have your stable assets or ones that are maybe a little, a little bit more um, understood or a little bit more stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have your risk appetite, right? So you're going after the tech companies and, Hey, what's the next big thing? I want to get rich quick. I want all the money today. Cause I live in an Amazon society. I don't want to wait for it. <laughs> Same goes with mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies. And what do we know about those things? They sky high, they fly high and they fly low. And that some of them times they go poof. So maybe that can feed that little investment appetite that you have. Hopefully it's not too large a one for um, anybody that had any exposure to these things. But again, you can do that. Um, but from my standpoint, that's again why I like being a real estate developer because it's a, a little bit more stable. I think that's a perfect point going into more depth on Signature Bank because some people might wonder, well, why are you talking about these banks? And they really weren't, um, you know, maybe it looks like they did some things that really were a little sloppy. Well, here's here's a good example. Signature Bank was a New York City-based bank founded in 2001. The bank provided financing within the multifamily residential rental housing market in the New York metropolitan area beginning in 2007, though it began to reduce its exposure to the market during the 2010, the 2010s. So by 2019, just over 40% of the value of the bank's loans were made to multifamily homeowners in the New York metropolitan area comprising 15.8 billion of the banks then 38.9 billion in net loans so they they were doing real estate Ryan mm-hmm. and then they started reducing that and now then listen what to what happened <laughs> so beginning in 2018 signature bank began to court customers in the cryptocurrency industry they were securing hires that were experienced in the area with the globe, the, the goal of moving away from its dependence on real estate lending. The quantity of deposits held at the bank expanded significantly, so I'm sure they were happy about that at the time, you know, with deposits increasing from about $36 billion at the end of 2018 to $104 billion by August 2022. 
That month, over one quarter of the bank's deposits held were those of cryptocurrency companies. Its cryptocurrency sector clients included large crypto exchange and exchange operators such as Celsius Network and Binance. So we're familiar with them. So by the end of 2023, Signature Bank had become the second largest provider of banking services to the cryptocurrency industry, second only to our number one on the list, Silvergate Bank. You got a little tongue-tied there saying yeah. cryptocurrency 10 times <laughs> I <did>. fast. <laughs> and also, is it just me or does it seem like Signature Bank should have probably stayed with multifamily real estate lending? That's That'd be another oops, I think, there. So let's look at what's happening outside the United States. So this is S number four. Now, it doesn't start with S, but it's in there. It's Credit Suisse. And I don't know that many people were paying attention to this one either. Again, these things just kind of get swept under the rug to what do they mean to the financial system. Credit Suisse just about went poof, gone over the course of a weekend in mid-March. UBS over the weekend and by that Monday, UBS Bank had agreed to acquire Credit Suisse in an all-stock takeover valuing Credit Suisse at just $3.2 billion or $3 billion Swiss francs. The acquisition was supported by a $9 billion Swiss franc short-term loss guarantee from the Swiss government who had to step in and $108 billion of liquidity from the Swiss wow. National Bank. Yeah. I mean, all this money just push, you know, and these are things to pay attention that's, to. That's that's a big IOU. You might want to hold on to that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, if that's, a, that's a big bailout right there, you know, and we've seen it before. But all right, so lastly, on the outside of the United States here, Let's look at Chinese banks. Now, they had suffered a less severe impact from the banking crisis, according to Bloomberg News. Almost all of their 166 top performers during the March 23 U.S. bank failures uh, were in China. So they're doing relatively well comparatively. The recent banking crisis in the U.S. and Europe highlighted the relative stability of the Chinese banking system. While China's recovery from the pandemic remains fragile, inflation there is muted and the People's Bank of China had adjusted interest rates at a slower pace than we've seen in Western central banks. So what does all this mean for for you, for me, for people and, you know, everybody trying to trying to place and think of investments, right? I mean, all these banks had exposure to the technology sector, mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies, but they also had exposure to bonds. And people, you know, I've heard people tell me, oh, bonds aren't risky. Mm -hmm. Ask the banks or the people that had the money in the banks. See, right. I, you know, a lot of people don't realize or think about what happens when you put your money with a bank. So, you you know, when you're thinking about where to invest money, do I put it in the market? Do I put it this? Do I put it in real estate? Do I put it in the bank? Well, think about what happens when you put your money in the bank. You feel safe, right? Why, you know, that's why people put their money in the banks. But what happens with that is the banks are only keeping probably a dollar out of every $10 that somebody deposits. So you deposit $10, they're keeping a dollar, they're taking the other nine, and they're either lending it out to loans or they're placing it in different investments like these short-term secure the uh, short-term treasury bills that anybody, you know, all of us economists understand when interest rates go up, bond values go down. Now you can hold them to maturity, but when people are demanding their money back, you can't hold them to maturity. That's why they had to sell them and they sold them at a loss. They didn't have the cash. People all said, Hey, I want my money back. You know, why are you got my money? Why are you doing this? And they, they couldn't pay it. And that's why it went under. So those are things to think about when you're out there choosing investments. And, you know, for me, 
having the stability of the real estate. Um, yes, there's liquidity that you have to hold it for a long term or hold it for a period in time until there's a capital event. But I almost think that's almost that's like a like a forced gift that people are given to have to do that because I can't think of the the statistic here or whatever it may be, but um, out there. But they researched recently. I won't be able to quote it, but they researched uh, the top performing stock portfolios of all time. And these portfolios were ones that have been found 10, 15 years after the person had died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. So yeah, they're just, they just held and that holding and waiting, but see in today's world, you've got the fast moving cryptocurrencies. You've got all these shiny objects. You've got the Amazon world, right? Like, Hey, I pushed, Hey, I bought this. Why isn't it at my door yet? That kind of mentality went over time, you know, do that, feed your appetite there. It's probably better than going to the casino or something, right? If you do certain things that, that maybe meet your individual needs, but also have the other side of you that says, Hey, I need to put this cash yeah. away and maybe do something a little bit more stable and something that's maybe a little bit more predictable, or at least has a better chance. And I've got control over it versus, you know, having the bank or somebody else lend it out. Are you saying that that t-shirt I saw, um, is kind of, uh, is kind of like the, the society out there. It said, um, I don't have ADD. It's just, hey, wait, look, a squirrel. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, that is kind of what we're what we're facing as a society. Uh, I think that what your point about the people thinking about where they invest and how, why that's so important is, if you look at a, a study that was done by Fortune magazine, Fortune dot com recently, where they found that. 70% of the high net worth, the accredited, accredited investors, plan their plan going forward is not more to stocks. Their plan going forward was to do more towards direct real estate. Not REITs, not mutual funds either, but actual real estate ownership because that's where they saw more stability in the hard assets. And so I think that makes sense. So are you in the 70% or are you in the 30% who said uh, that they were less uh, savvy investors and they were going to play more stocks. I mean, I don't know that you, I guess you can choose what, what group you want to be in, but it's a, uh, it was pretty clear in this study. And so I say that these banking failures, they are unfortunate. Uh, they're unfortunate for the banks. They're unfortunate for a lot of the, the, the VC firms and the founders and the customers, but uh, I don't see those affecting us a whole lot. I see that, you know, we believe direct participation, real estate and apartment buildings and senior living and, and edge data centers. Uh, we see that kind of investment continuing to be a bright spot in an otherwise dismal investing world. There's just, it's tough to find it out there, but we've been doing it a long time and uh, hard assets are certainly a significant portion of wealthy individuals' portfolios because for wealth preservation, wealth growth, creating income, tax benefits, all those. So in closing, I want to remind you to sign up for the Trends with Benefits, the DIRT newsletter. You can go to trendswithbenefitspodcast.com to do that or go to vincentre.com under resources to do that. And as always, we really look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. 
Learn more about Vincent Companies and the Trends with Benefits podcast at vincentre.com or trendswithbenefitspodcast.com. You can also give us a call at 612-424-8650 or submit questions at info at vincentre.com. And we really look forward to meeting you soon.